0: Welcome to another episode of Mastermind Discussions. I'm your host, Matthew LaCroix. Today, I have a very special guest on the show, a friend and close colleague named Kadrick Olson, who honestly has been a very significant person in my life, who has helped expand my awareness in so many areas. And him and I have had some of the best conversations I've ever had, which is actually what made me want to do this show with him because I kept saying over and over again, I'm like, we need to have this recorded. So hopefully we can get that organic nature of our conversations into this, um, but I just want to give a little bit of background on Kedrick before, uh, before he comes on and discusses a little bit about himself. Kedrick is a very brilliant mind. He is, like, in my opinion, an expert on esoteric and mysticism, um, but not only that, he knows a lot about ancient civilizations a lot about nonlinear time and physics and understanding the nature of reality. So we're going to get into a lot of really, really deep and expansive conversations tonight. But I first want to also mention that Kedrick has written a fantastic book that I highly recommend people check out. That's called Runes for Transformation, Using Ancient Symbols to Change Your Life. And I'm going to have links for all of Kedrick's stuff in the notes after, but I highly recommend you check his stuff out because he is... A very, very interesting person. And so, you know, with that, Kadric, uh, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. That was a really great intro. I'm excited to be here and I'm curious what kind of things we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah. And it's again, we're going to try to capture that organic nature of like maybe like the 50 amazing conversations that you and I have had over the last, you know, many months. But um, so to start, Kadric, I think it'd be great if you could maybe discuss a little bit about your background people always like to hear, you know, people like us that um, that delve into these studies, we seem to always have an interesting story. So I would love you to introduce yourself a little bit and maybe tell a little about your story and how you got involved in all this.
1: Sure. I don't know how I got involved in this. I just woke up one day and my life was over. Uh, yeah, I grew up with the opposite of parents that a lot of other people have. You know, people who are in the esoteric occult, magic, paganism, all that sort of stuff, have a history of parents who shut down what they're trying to learn, shut down their experiences. And as they have this curiosity in their mind to seek, they got shut down and told it was evil, not good. My parents are totally opposite. As I explored, they opened those avenues for me. The, the basement I grew up in with, because you know we're kids, we live in a parent's basement. But the basement was like a huge library with books on everything that you could imagine, you know, just basic encyclopedias to the Seth books, if you know about Seth, where uh, Jane Roberts was channeling the entity Seth. Uh, I, uh, the Gavin and Yvonne Frost books for witchcraft, those were a big part of it, Raymond Buckland. But then there was the book that caught my interest. The big book, the big hardback, tome-sized book that was on the shelf called Secret Teachings of All Ages. And as a young teenager, I delved into that one, trying to absorb as much of it as I could. Now, mind you, as a young teenager, a lot of that still went over my head, but I dove into it, I dug into it chapter by chapter, I popped all over the place. And the thing that occurred to me And this is one of the big influences. I'll tell you about the other one in a minute. But the thing that occurred to me while I was reading through this is as I'm reading about the ancient Egyptians, the Eleusinian Mysteries, the Odinic Brotherhood, the Rosicrucians, the Masons, all of these groups, they seem to be saying the same things over and over and over and over again. They're just using different words. They're using very similar symbols, but some of the words are different. So it occurred to me that there was like this baseline state of human consciousness, a baseline state of awareness, where we could work our magic, so to speak, and we could delve into what it means to be a mystic and to get into this underlying higher consciousness work. And I knew I needed to have a control group because I was starting to learn about the scientific method and there was just too many variables. So I said, I need a control group. And all about the same time, I was listening to some really crazy music out of the UK that was freaking out my peers at school, which made me love it even more. I was reading a book by Brian Bates called The Way of Weird. I picked up a book called The Book of Runes by Ralph Blum. And all of these pieces put into place. And I'm like, this is the Norse path. And I said, okay, great. This is my control group. I'm going to delve deep into the Norse, learn everything I can about the Norse, and use the Norse as my control group to test the variables to really get in and understand what this mysticism is and this mystical practice is. Mind you, that's just one of the influential paths that got me going. The other influential path is somewhat in the wacky woo-woo land, where even as a young kid in elementary school playing on a playground, I remember talking to imaginary friends and we weren't playing house we weren't playing cops and robbers or Batman and Robin they were telling me about the intricate nature of reality and layers of reality and different types of beings and how we coexist they're giving me basically what I now know as an adult is advanced level teachings and so I ended up calling them the whispers because their communication is like whispers but They are these ascended masters, disembodied entities, higher level beings, whatever we want to call them, that has served as a guide throughout all this process so that all of the stuff I have in my control group, all of the stuff that I'm testing and learning these variables, I've got these guides all along the way that says, oh yeah, you're curious about this? Well, check that out. Oh, you don't know anything about this, but go look at this. How about you investigate that? And over the years, all of those pieces and parts came together, put together And I just kept my studies over the years. I used to think I was motivated by curiosity, but I think it's a little bit more existential of a crisis than that. I think what motivates me is that the more I learn, the more I realize I'm in this ever widening gap of ignorance and naivety. And it's like the deeper I get into it, the less I know about anything. And so that's now my biggest motivator is is there something on the other side of this huge gap of ignorance i don't know we'll see
0: that's that was a really great story and i and i love that because it tells you really very clearly that you were very different than most of those other peers that you grew up with here you have some you have an inherent connection to these deeper realms and these other aspects of the physical reality that most just don't even know ever exist and so you know, and I want to just throw something out there because I know there's going to be people in my audience that are going to judge you based on simply how you look and simply how the, the state in which you, uh, your background is and everything like that. And I want to squash this like right away because there's a lot of misconceptions revolving around how people perceive those who are on the path of light and those who are on the path of darkness. But really, maybe you can expand on this a little bit more because you've honestly changed my perspective in a lot of ways where those are not aspects of one is good and one is evil. Maybe explain why you decided to follow a path where you're not afraid to go into the what you actually term as rather than the darkness these shadow realms, which is where a lot of these non-physical and these, um, these connections throughout history that have spoken to various initiates and mystics all throughout time, it's not what we think. And so I would love if you would explain that a little bit for, for people and why that's part of your path, because I think it's very, very misunderstood.
1: You're absolutely right. And that gives us a good introduction to talk about light, darkness, and shadows, Of course, light is that wisdom, that knowledge, that knowing, the things that you can see, the things that you can know. And so that's associated with what's good and fine and dandy. But the darkness, we tend to associate with the unknown or even the unmanifest. And I do hold that there really is only one fear in humanity, but it presents itself in a myriad of contexts. And that one fear that we have that's innate is the fear of the unknown. We think we're afraid of this, we think we're afraid of that, but really we're afraid of, we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's gonna come out of that. We don't know what exists there. And this innate fear of the unknown is also related to the fear of darkness. And fear of darkness is what kept our Paleolithic ancestors alive. Because while they're huddled around the fire at night, they're hearing the rustling in the tall grass, they know, that is a a nocturnal predator. And if they go venturing out too far from the fire, they know that they will not come back to that fire alive or at least not whole. And so that genetic memory is embedded deep within us to be afraid of the dark, to be afraid of the unknown. But remember, the universe is darkness. Sure, there are points of light that we see with stars, There are points of light that we see, you know, the accretion disk around black holes. Those are points of light. But the space between stars is the innate darkness of the universe. And if we get into esoteric terms, in Kabbalah, in the Kabbalistic system, the darkness is Ein Sof. Ein Sof is that limitless creation potential, which gives rise to Ein Sof, our And Ein Sof Our is the limitless light. So darkness is the substrate where we find baseline consciousness, which then condenses into spiritual form, which then condenses into electromagnetic light, which then condenses into matter and form. So darkness is the substrate of all existence. And of course, we have an innate fear of that. But what we really need to be careful and cautious of are shadows. Shadows are that which obscures the light, the light of knowing. And shadows is where we find the fear, where we find the jealousy, where we find the anger, the hatred, and all of those negative emotions and all of those scary things. But the thing about shadows is they're always hiding some sort of truth within them. And for each one of us, every single one of us, when we have those shadow traits, our fear, our anger, our hatred, our jealousy, those are traits that we took on as a means of adapting to the circumstances we were in at, that, at a certain time in our life. They were things that we learned to keep us alive so that we could survive those moments. And so they hold a secret about who we are innately. And I kind of consider some of the work that I do to be without sounding too arrogant or egotistical, trying to bodhisattva work, where I'm not afraid to get into the darkness, where I'm not afraid to get into the shadows with people, because that's where people are who need the most help. That's where people are. They're stuck in their spiritual growth. They're stuck in their life because they've got the shadows obscuring the beauty of what their world really is and their true potential of who they are. And I've seen those shadows. I've seen that darkness. And I, I hold that door open to the light for people. And the only way for me to get there to help those people is if I'm willing to venture into the darkness. So I don't consider myself a light worker. I'm not a light worker. I'm a shadow worker. I work with people in the deepest, darkest places of their lives so that they can see the benefits of that. So they can see what the truth of their authentic being really is so that they have that Capability, that capacity to rise out of that and unlock their true potential to who they really are and go into the light of their own being.
0: That was very well said. And, you know, as I mentioned early on the show, Kedrick has been, I really mean it. He's been one of the biggest influences of my expansion of knowledge and awareness of of anyone I've ever had, had in my life. And he, and I want to point out something that's very important. If you look at the spectrum of those who do the work that we're doing, in these fields of higher consciousness and looking into the ancient secrets and esoteric knowledge in all these texts, more than 90% of them, and I bet you it's higher than that, will only follow this path of higher light, and they'll never delve into these areas that you do. You, you have a niche that is so specific that there you probably are, in my opinion, in the areas that you work with these esoteric studies, but really looking into like the shadow work and into rune stones and looking into, you know, what really is pa- uh, paranormal entities, really on a scale of like actually evidence based, you're probably one of the, in my opinion, is one of the premier uh, experts in the world. And there, there are very, very few people who do what you do. And that's why I wanted to highlight the significance of that. But because of what you do, you have an understanding. That is, in my opinion, far greater than most who don't have any experience in that, because you've seen so many different sides of what makes up the nature of reality. And that's what people really need to understand here is we're not talking about something that is is supposed to be ignored because it doesn't play a part. It plays almost equally, if not as equal as a part as the light. It is what defines reality for us. And so I commend you on your work, my friend, because it is a path that is not taken by many and it's very misunderstood. And because of that, it doesn't often get recognized for its significance. And so that's why I think it's so important that you explain a lot of this. And then before we get into all these other topics along the way, I think it's important that we also um, have you discuss so many of these misconceptions that are related to like, paranormal things entities uh exorcism stuff and all like this whole spectrum of all those misunderstood areas that you work in it'd be great if you could shine a light on that in, in such a way where we can people can finally get those misconceptions um understood because even yourself have you've told me that you'll go to conventions and most of the peers you work with they have this almost like hollywood surface level understanding of how all this is portrayed and it's really not very accurate so maybe you could go into a little bit of your work and, and some of those aspects.
1: Absolutely. In the most recent years, I've refined a lot of the work I'm doing to the paranormal stuff because I'm seeing that that's where more and more people are needing that work. A lot of people are coming to an awareness that they've had paranormal experiences, but they all that they know about the paranormal experiences is either what fearful family members have told them, fearful church leaders have told them, or what they've seen in TV shows and movies. And those movies and stuff make for great stories. They're kind of a lot of fun. I do like horror movies. I watch horror movies all the time because they're fun. I kind of laugh through them because they get a little silly. But when it comes to actual paranormal experiences, people think that the paranormal means there's gonna be banging on the walls. There's gonna be the disembodied voice going, get out. And this cold feeling that they've, they're just under this oppressive you know, thing trying to hurt them or harm them. When really, maybe the reason why that ball rolled across the room or that book fell off of the shelf is because there's a curious little child in the house going, ooh, what's that? What's this all about? And it's just being a kid playing with stuff like kids do, playing with a light switch going, look, I can turn on and off the fan, which I've actually had a client had a problem with a fan turning on and off in their room. And it was just a little boy playing with it. But because we're so conditioned to go, Oh my God, this is evil. It's going to get me. We start generating those fear states in the house and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And the fun, the part about all of this is those people who are having those paranormal experiences, Amping it up into a fearful state and a fearful process are actually tuned into some of their psychic abilities and becoming awakened to their potential to being more than just a mundane, average, everyday human being, because they are becoming awakened, they're becoming enlightened, their abilities are turning on. And so I love to work with these people to help them realize it's like, no, the reason why you're having this experience in the first place is because. Something opened in your mind to be able to perceive that spirit in the house, and you have this ability to generate that energy. So how about you take charge of your inner world, you take charge of the energetic environment around you, and you start to peacefully coexist with the paranormal, which sometimes takes some shadow work, where we have to go into some of the old beliefs and some of the old feelings and unravel and unwind those stuff so that you can find out, like, wow, I am really this powerful manifester of energy and reality. And I'm like, yes, you are. It always have been. And sometimes the only way to get through that is to rewrite the beliefs and re-experience reality from another perspective, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, and so that's a perfect segue into for us to truly understand the states of what we are. You know, We are not just this animal that has a brain that then creates consciousness and then we die and then we disappear and we rot into the earth this is exactly the proof to show us that these different states of energy and matter exist. So someone let's say someone dies and I want you to expand on this obviously, because you've a much deeper understanding than I do, but let's say someone dies through something very traumatic, right? Something happens. that's very, very traumatic. And that my understanding, and again, clarify this and expand on it, but that sometimes that soul, that's that energy gets trapped in between different realms. And, and that's where, If something is a really true entity that's haunting something, not, you know, someone making something up and it's not real, but something truly not haunting is not even a good word for it. That's like a Hollywood term, something that exists in a stagnant state that's stuck somewhere is that is, is how would you explain that in terms of what we are and how it defines us in these different ways that we can traverse these realms of existence?
1: Yeah, what you're talking about is a revenant. And a revenant is a part of the soul that gets fractured off during a traumatic moment. And this is a natural state for souls to do. So anytime you've experienced something traumatic, no matter what it is, even if it's a little fender bender, A part of your soul fragments off and relives that moment over and over and over and over again, which is why after you've had something like a fender bender or something unfortunately could be worse, you're remembering it, you're thinking about it all the time. And and every time you think about it, you get that visceral reaction is because it's sending back that energy of that moment back to you through a tendril. But when somebody dies, that could be one of the most traumatic things that they experience. And so a fragment of that soul gets stuck in that moment of its death, living that moment over and over and over and over again. Meanwhile, the rest of the soul may be going through the whole afterlife process and going through whatever it needs to do. And when we have paranormal investigators or somebody moves into that house or a guest stays there, they're seeing that revenant living that moment over and over again. And the emotions that we get from it match what that state is which is that sense of tragedy, that sense of fear, that sense of horror, which is also why sometimes people have bad paranormal experiences is because they're connecting at an emotional level, which by the way, that's how most spirits communicate is primarily through emotions. And so we're picking up on the emotion of that revenant going, oh, this place is haunted. It's awful. It's creepy. It's terrible. It's bad. And it is, but it's because you're tapping into that little revenant and it is just a natural normal part of our supernatural reality
0: and you have you have specializations in those fields where you can actually go to a place like that and you can free that that fragmented stuck energy right
1: sort of (laughs) there's a caveat to that for the most part you don't want to release the revenants but sometimes you have to like if it's stuck in somebody's home and it's causing a problem we need to do an energy shift But if it's, let's say, an abandoned asylum or an old hospital or something like that, uh, I'll give you a a case of example. I had a friend who found a burnt out restroom at a a local park near her house. And she's psychically aware. And she was picking up on the energy of a spirit who died in there when it burned out. And sure enough, she did the research and found out there was definitely a, a little kid unfortunately died in there when it burned down. And that little kid was trying to find mommy but the thing is is what if the rest of the soul of that person's moved on dealing with their afterlife trying to get ready trying to get to a solid stable foundation they're not ready to bring that little revenant back they don't want it back you know they're just like ready to leave it alone so so we're not necessarily going to release that revenant because it's an affect of that time and place in that moment but if it is in somebody's house and it is causing problems, it can't be there anymore. So we will do some energetic work. We'll do some energy shifting in the house. We'll help, I'll help uh, the people living there develop some skills so that they can tune in and tune out what's going on. And then again, change their internal energy so that they're no longer being affected by it. And sooner or later, this thing will finally dissipate, if not immediately, will dissipate and no longer cause a problem. So those kind of remnants are a little bit tricky to get rid of, but not impossible.
0: So that's, it's just a whole different way to look at this, right? It just changes this whole perspective that so many, even in people that work in the fields that like, like we do, and that are misconceived by these notions, all of a sudden the shadow work in the spirit world just becomes very, very different. And I think it's a perfect segue for something that you've helped me tremendously understand on a whole different level is I would love to talk about magic with a K. Okay, not sleight of hand card magic, not stuff you're going to see in Vegas. I want to talk about, I would love you to give a little bit of history and understanding of how far back this goes and how perhaps we used to have certain inherent abilities that aren't really as well known anymore. And maybe they're not really very well tuned in anymore, but please explain how there really isn't white and dark magic. And just explain magic in general and, and our abilities of relating to it.
1: Basically magic, and we all are magic, is the ability to affect reality through the subtle parts of our mind. And basically the subtle parts of our mind interact with the subtle layers of reality, which then become reflected in the non-subtle layers of reality. And culture upon culture throughout all of human history have used magic words, they've used special symbols, they've used rituals, they have all sorts of enchantments and charms. There's a litany of ways of doing this, but ultimately it comes down to whether you're using a sigil or a candle or sound healing, it's all the same thing. You're using these tools to influence the subtle part of your mind to connect to those subtle layers of reality to enact change that doesn't seem that seems to defy statistics. It seems to defy the natural, normal, physical order of things because you're basically affecting the probability and possibility of events happening by altering the subtle layers of reality. And like I said, no matter if you're using any sort of ritual, be it Enochian or a kinetic ritual or Norse runes, It's still the human mind. It's still human consciousness. And that to me is the essence of mysticism is we find that undercurrent that underlies all magical systems so that we understand the the subtle nature of human consciousness and the true capacity of what it means to be more than human, you know, beyond what it is human.
0: Yeah. And I think that that what that gets back to in my understanding of what I've studied it really all connects back to like ancient, ancient deep antiquity history. And what we're talking about, if we think, give you an example, and I, you know, can talk on that in a, in a second, but like, imagine right now, the term that I think is often used is the old religion. And it's a time long, long ago when our understanding of mysticism and all these esoteric things was much more well-known by certain secret societies and groups where they would practice certain things and they had this inherently woven into their understanding of reality. Now those groups became hunted down by primarily the Roman empire to start. And I, and so a lot of people who watch my channel, they are flabbergasted when I talk about something like St. Patrick's day. Okay. The idea that something like the Druids would represent, you know, the ones who created Stonehenge would represent like like literally the last major group that used to practice what we we really call the old religion in a more comprehensive way. And there's little fragments of it that exist still, but not in like a comprehensive way, like the Gnostics to the Druids, those, those, those groups were like systematically wiped out because not only were they practicing things that go, go uh, against the the modern church and Christianity, but they had knowledge through ancient texts that was very 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 different than the later understanding when you saw christianity go from you know constantinople and in turkey when constantine changed the roman empire over to christianity there was this this attempt to wipe out this entire uh, lineage and background of history and so like the druids were there the snakes that st patrick was was eradicating and the pagan groups okay so there's a lot of misconceptions related to that. People will, will write to me, Well, hey Matt, weren't the Druids practicing like animal sacrifice and blood sacrifice and all this stuff? But really, that was a the way that they perceived that was like that they were an evil group and that, that was they they were justified to be wiped out. Can you talk about some of these ancient, ancient times and these groups that used to exist in that and what their knowledge and understanding was?
1: The knowledge and understanding varies depending on the group it's a it's a broad subject but but you're right to say that some of these cultures did practice human and animal sacrifice yes and remember the word sacrifice means to make sacred it doesn't mean to give up and i'm gonna counter some of this you know some of these groups were vilified because they practiced this sacrifice but yet how many people were tortured and killed in the name of Jesus, probably a lot more than what some of these other groups have done in the terms of horror. But that's a little soapbox. It's a little bit to the side. So, wow, what did they know? They, they knew our connection with the natural world. They knew our connection with the, with the supernatural world. They knew that there was something to the cycles of the of like the sun and the seasons and the whole cosmos they knew that there was this greater than everything connection and that they had that ability to tap into that greater than everything connection which makes me want to talk about that word occult that we, today we're so afraid of the word occult and you hinted at to why a lot of these groups went underground even in roman times people who were practicing this stuff had to hide it because the authorities basically didn't want that kind of power in the individuals. They wanted that power for themselves because I can tell you some of those authority figures were probably using some of that. I don't think many authority figures, and this is where it's going to butt up against a lot of people. I don't think a lot of authority figures today are directly using this, but they may know people who are using this because the reason why a cult had to go underground was for two reasons. One, because of the nature of human consciousness to be able to do this level of magic work, you had to have a certain ability with your mind. If we look to indigenous cultures that were very shamanic in nature, you know, that the medicine man, uh, the, the spirit healers that were there, the average mind of the person in these communities could not do that kind of work, but they looked for that person who, their mind could sit between worlds that they seemed a little bit off, Today, we might think that person has some sort of a mental illness or maybe autistic, or even in those kind of cultures, hermaphrodite, because they were between two worlds. They didn't exist one way or the other way or within this box. So they had to have a special consciousness to them. And a lot of these secret societies, part of their training was learning the words to use, but also part of their training was to learn how to expand their consciousness, to shift their perception, And that wasn't something that was available to a lot of people's minds. Now, because these people could do things that were strange and unusual, that seemed to defy the natural order of the world, which it really wasn't. It wasn't defying the natural order of the world. It was just working within a different set of parameters of the natural world than the average everyday person could do. The authority figures clamped down on it, partially because of control, partially because of fear, but for a lot of reasons, and so these groups had to hide. They had to be hidden, which is what the word occult means, is the stuff that's hidden. But today, today the age of the occult is over. We don't need the occult anymore. We have the internet. We have people sharing these secret society secrets all over the freaking place. Their symbols, what the symbols mean, the, the rituals, what the rituals mean, what the practices mean, even more what's going on today through the realm of special effects, science fiction, video games, is people's consciousness are being pushed beyond the parameters of what they were able to perceive even 20 years ago, 100 years ago. So our minds are able to exist in this near shamanic state already because you know we've got these video games where people are walking through a portal and showing up in another part of a building or they can walk through a wall like it's no problem or they can fly without having to do anything. They just fly naturally. Now the human consciousness can perceive that those things are possible and that translates into spiritual abilities and spiritual talents. And all we need is, is maybe the the discipline and the structure that some of these organizations gave and some of the communication and the words that they have and all of that's available, everything. So the occult's over. There's no need for these secret societies anymore. There's no need to control people or try to clamp down and destroy this stuff because everybody but everybody on this planet has the capacity to address their own magical abilities And if they want to go through the route of Wicca, they want to go through the route of Norse, they want to go through the route of Kemetic Druidism, it doesn't matter. I even remember seeing a video one time of some Christian church, I don't remember what it was, teaching children to smash these cups and plates while reciting these certain phrases over and over again. And I'm like, you're teaching those kids sympathetic magic. And so it's even in in the practices of some of these churches it's so magic is something alive and well within all of us and it's really not hidden anymore it's everywhere
0: yeah and i mean we we came from a time when everyone knows i mean you think about back the whole term of witches and sorcerers and how those were being hunted down by the powerful, the Christian church and wiped out and eradicated. And most of those people that were burned alive at the stake, weren't even people practicing any of this, you know, so it became this incredibly dangerous system of, really like, it's not about magic. It's about eliminating these magical abilities in us, right? Which really what it gets into, which is the next part I want to talk about is it gets into higher forms of consciousness and being more in tuned with the nature of reality. So if please, I would love you to explain a little bit, the different levels of consciousness relating to What are densities and dimensions relating to all of this? Like, give people a little bit of understanding of this, because we're going to get a little bit more into the nature of reality and consciousness and how it relates to all this.
1: Sure. And a lot of what we're going to talk about here, we're going to use so many different terms, and I've seen the terms change over the decades, where people would debate, you know, here's the physical, then there's the spiritual and the divine, or there's the the corporeal and the ethereal and the astral. Now we're starting to say, well, we're in 3D and then there's 4D and 5D and 7D. And I just want to put it out there. This is what we were kind of talking about. All of these words that we're using are an attempt to explain the ineffable. You can't describe what the astral is versus the ethereal, but you can experience it and we can give examples of what these things are. However, they are just different layers of conscious perception. And so for the sake of this discussion, I'm just going to go with 3D, 4D, 5D, 7D, that sort of thing. And when I use the word D or when I use the word, the letter D, it's in reference to density, not necessarily dimension, because, you know, we have third dimension with the fourth dimension of time. And then you can change things orthogonally and then you can get through the whole tw- seven or 12 t- dimensions.
0: And we'll get into time as, as we
1: get- go here. Yeah, that, that's where we get into string theory and all of the other stuff, but we're not going to do that. By density, we mean third density. Like here we are, 3D beings. First density is kind of more like stones, solid physical stuff. Second D is kind of where life starts to form and needs to sustain itself, you know, plants to animals, the basic uh, reptilian form of, I need to fight and feed to survive. Well, 3D is now where we can coexist with each other cooperatively, we can think, we can process, we live in tribes, communities, herds, flocks, schools, whatever, that's kind of 3D. I'm going to skip 4D for a minute. 5D, from what we've been putting together, is a layer of existence where somebody can still have a physical corporeal form, but in 5D, they are able to perceive nonlinear time. They are able to perceive different levels of reality that it isn't just straight cause and effect. We can see how the effect can create the cause and that there's no non linearity to that, you could see multiple layers of things going on. And it is like, it's, this is where the terms get funky. It's where you are at a higher frequency state because you're able to process more information quickly, which tends to say, Hey, that means it's more dense because you're having a dense information but yet, it is a lighter level of density when it comes to energy. Because, you know, here in the physical solid world, we're here. And then when you move up into these stages, it's like the energy feels lighter, it's more spread out, but yet there's more information in it. So, density is a really messed up word to try to put in here because it, you're getting more frequency, higher frequency, which means more information. Anyway, 4D, this fourth dimension that exists in between, is kind of a fun sandbox. It's kind of a fun way we can play. It's sometimes referred to as the ethereal. This is where we as human beings create created entities like egregores and thought forms. And spiritual beings, they're real, they exist, they have influence, and they affect us in a bunch of different ways. But... 4d is you can kind of just blow on it and it's gone it just blows away there's no permanence in this
0: state almost of 5d and 3d right
1: yeah it's like this weird liminal space but we can create and build things and play with stuff and then it goes away but 5d tends to be a little bit more permanent 3d tends to be a little bit more permanent and then when you get going further and further up that's where you find ascended masters i don't want to use the term angels but you find ascended masters ascended beings higher level entities where people where we call it the afterlife this is just existence to these entities and these beings this is where everything is and then they look at us where we're here and they're like wow you have a fixed level of reality and everything's in a line how weird is that? Because they don't have fixed layers of reality. Everything is fluid and mutable and they get to experience things in a myriad of different ways and they can play around with it. And then they look at us stuck in one little state in one little locked in form of being that we are in. It's almost confining to look at 3D from a 5D or a higher perspective when you come back and look at it from this direction. And okay, so- in a tiny little nutshell, that's kind of my explanation of that.
0: But if you were to say have that awareness, right, mm-hmm. um, of and you had control over large groups of people, right, like an empire <laughs> or a later group, like a lot of the groups we have now, it would be more conducive to keep a group in a lower form of consciousness and density because wouldn't it be their their perceptions would be very limited and it'd be easier to control their mindset right in their creative abilities
1: and this would be somebody who's mostly existing in 4D if they're doing that they've moved their head up into that 4D level and think that they have to manipulate the 3D people because they're generating this 4D energy for, for them, for their existence, and they're subsisting off of this 4D stuff, not realizing just how impermanent it is. So it's it's we almost can look at it from a 3D perspective, that it's karmic retribution that they get from manipulating these cultures and these empires for that energy and that level, and it kind of is but they're just kind of fooling themselves when they think they can manipulate the masses like that with these energies because they can and people buy into it but it doesn't it last long reason. yeah it just blows away and it's like temporary. useless
0: that's yeah. the point i want people to take from this one piece that we're discussing right now is whatever kind of systems are in place that may keep us in a certain state that state is temporary and that state cannot be like that forever meaning that we have to understand, and we'll get more into this before we conclude tonight, but that our our state of consciousness is constantly changing and it's always, it's it's growing at at this current rate we're in right now. And we'll get more into this in, in a minute, but I wanted you to expand just on briefly on something you said. There are so many that talk about, and there's a lot of different terms and you can discuss this however you're comfortable with it, but there's a lot of terms with these things that we perceive as like dark entities, maybe some kind of an aspect of reptilian, any kind of these scary entities that are, our perception are real. But one of the things that you brought to my understanding on a deeper level is that maybe we're, we're non-consciously not realizing it. We're actually creating them right through our perceptions of fear and all these different things. We're actually creating it. And that's what are known as egregores. Can you talk about that a little bit deeper?
1: Yep. And Egregore is a collectively created entity that we come together with our belief on what this thing is, maybe what it looks like, what its name is, what its personality is, what its energy traits are. And the more we believe in its existence, because egregores really live off of our belief, the more we believe in them, the more energy we're giving to them.
0: We feed them, right?
1: We feed them. And these things are incredibly powerful. They can exist in 4 and 5D. Five. There are such thing as 5D egregores. They can evolve into a higher state of being. So let me give you an example of an egregore that's not so scary. Imagine that there's an egregore that is built off of our collective belief on generosity, kindness, and compassion. This egregore is built off of seeing the wonder in a child's eye when it wakes up in the morning and it sees all of these brilliant boxes.
0: Spoiler alert on this one, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it sees all those brilliant boxes underneath the Christmas tree. And we all buy into the power of that egregore Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. When you feel that enchantment, that wonder in the air, and you're giving and you're sharing With each other and with the children, regardless of religion, regardless of any of that, it's a culturally created entity, Santa Claus. And how does Santa Claus visit all of the children in the world overnight? Through what's known as a possessory right. We willingly take on the energy of this egregore and share collectively in our belief of compassion and generosity and giving and childlike wonder, that's an egregore of Santa Claus. So if you were to ask me a Santa real, hell yeah, then that's proof of it. You can feel it on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, everywhere. It's in the air. Because the and- collective
0: of the, of the world is using their powers, even though they don't even know what they're doing, to create a, literally like a being right
1: exactly exactly and we have the opposite spectrum of that we can also sit there and go and we've done this as a culture many cultures all over the world wow that person couldn't be that evil wow those people really couldn't be that awful that's just not human they must be under some sort of otherworldly influence like a demon or something awful and what's outrageous to the human mind is reptilians we look at yes there are people who love snakes and lizards and reptiles and absolutely yeah but somewhere in the deep visceral nature of human beings we tend to look at the reptiles as alien as strange as threatening and malevolent Somewhere deep, deep, deep in the collective unconsciousness. And I don't as mean as the as average as person.
0: Like at the right. that's what's so scary about it.
1: Exactly. And so our collective consciousness gets together and looks at politicians, looks at religious leaders, looks at influential people in the media, and goes, wow, they wouldn't be that evil on their own. We're not thinking this consciously. We're not doing this with our brains. We're doing this with our intuitive bodies. We're doing this with our unconscious emotions. You're not aware that you're doing this. And I don't mean you as a general individual. I mean you as a general overall. You don't realize that you're doing this at the emotional, visceral, intuitive level that we're seeing this. And so we're creating these reptilian egregores who are now real. They really are whispering in the minds of people because they have this programming of, ooh, let's do this torment. Let's do this awful stuff. And we collectively create these things. I've almost given a different term to this. I've given it the term of Thurs. It's an Old Norse term for a giant. It's a special type of giant that really feeds off of anger and hatred because they had names like Angerboti, the boating of anger, or Hati, the hater. And these Thurs have the powerful ability to influence vast swaths of people to do really stupid things for really stupid reasons. One of my classical points that I put out there is, oh, hey, let's kill them because they're Tutsi. Oh, hey, let's kill them because they're Hutu. But we're all the same people. So let's just kill each other because we are say that. now that thurs the egregores are getting fed off of that bloodshed and that mayhem and the violence and the horror going on and it's going cool yeah keep this up now the peacekeepers come in with their guns and their tanks and they're shooting up the place and that thurs is going right on keep it up thank you where the opposite needs to happen this is where we go back into the shadow work where we go okay I see what's going on. I see how this is influencing me. I'm feeling the influence that is external to hate this person, to want to kill and destroy them. But that's not me. How do I shift? How do I shift my energy so that this thing no longer influences me? And unfortunately, not enough people in this world are aware of that external influence. They still think it's within them. They think that, well, I've got this emotional feeling, therefore. I'm going to logically justify my actions. And I'm really condensing this a lot. It's more complicated than that. So don't think I'm just glossing it over. It's really more dense than this. A lot more layers involved. But basically what's going on, the egregore is influencing a person at the emotional, intuitive level. They don't know it. Now they know, oh, I got to go start this. I got to go make this thing happen. Now the brain kicks in and justifies that feeling, that action. And the more they do that, the more they start spinning this cycle of acting emotion, justifying, acting emotion, justifying. While this external creature that we see as this reptilian alien or demon, because they're also demons, are out there influencing people to do stupid things for stupid reasons, but yet the people committing those actions feel they're fully well justified in doing it because. That's how the brain and human nature works, which sucks.
0: Yeah. And I want people to remember that and really just take a second to, to relate that to so much of history. Okay. So many of these created conflicts, so many of these created fear-based systems, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm sure all the the people listening to this can think of so many examples in modern times, not, I'm not talking about just in ancient times where there's, a, there's an event created to fuel the con, the conscious co-creators of our of our world to feel a certain way. And then we then feed a certain kind of energy. That's very un, important for people to understand because it plays such a big role in why so many different conflicts, so many different things are created based on this fear system of us. And really what it comes down to, Kedrick, and this is how I'm going to segue into this for you, but it comes down to us not realizing our creative abilities of who we are, and we give away that right to someone else. And so that's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it?
1: Yep. And there are, this is where the layers of complexity come into this one, is because the actions of the individuals are still accountable. People are still accountable for what they did. We just can't say, well, it was the devil that made me do it so I'm off the hook no you still have to have that accountability therefore you still have to do the reparations you still have to do the work of repairing and healing at the same time I'm not blaming them as the victim because at the same time they don't know that they're under that influence which now everybody listening to this one you have that ability to question when you're feeling like I want to go Ugh, is that really you or is that the zeitgeist that's swelling up within us causing you to do that one? So really what I want this to do is give you that impetus to question what you're feeling and then the way that you want to act for that one. So you get that pause in there going, is this really me? Is that how I really want to act? Because I will hold that the for the basic human nature, barring this that has a biochemical problem in the brain. The basic human nature is cooperative, collaborative, compassionate, and caring. But there is this 0.001% that's out there that does have innate psychopathy, that does traumatize people, that does cause them, and then we get the whole cycle going. So we're not letting the victims off the hook. And the way I want you to think about this and this is what I tell a lot of my clients and a lot of the people I work with. And I want this to be the the contemplative pivot that you use for this: is that you may or may not be responsible for what happened to you or what happens around you, but you are one hundred percent responsible for what you do with it, yes, where you yes. go with it from that point. So you are still accountable.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, and that leads exactly into where I want people to understand. That these actions that we do, we are the ones that are ultimately in charge of our own free will there. That ties into what the ancients talked about all along with weighing a human heart, weighing the soul against a feather, and what kind of karmic energy is accumulated in that lifetime. So can you talk a little bit about how karma plays into potentially our incarnations and how we go through different lifetimes?
1: is a fun word and a fun term. Because we've got a misnomer of what karma means. We tend to think that I do something bad to somebody, therefore something bad's gonna to happen to me. I do something good, therefore something good's gonna to happen to me. That's not quite the nature of karma. Karma is more about lessons to learn, and I would say more about experiences to have, such as what if, what, what if. Somebody did come into this life with the intention that they were to be that 0.001%. They did have that psychopathy so that they could stir crap up and make things problematic. So then everybody else goes, oh my God, that is so horrible. That's terrible. It's awful. We don't want to be that way so that they could serve that example. One of the things that I really love out of the Vedic tradition And when it comes to the notion of karma is, and I don't know, this is, again, a contemplative exercise, a thought experiment for you to use in expanding your perceptibility of the world around you. And that's how I want to use this, rather than justification for any sort of actions. This is a contemplative tool. In this Vedic teaching is when they talk about karma, and we're going to use good, bad karma, that in... In order to transcend to the next layer of existence, to that 5B, 60, 70 layer of existence, you have to neutralize out your karma. Now, you come into lifetime after lifetime after lifetime to experience various things. Sometimes you're the villain. Sometimes you're the hero. Sometimes you're the victim. Sometimes you're the perpetuator, perpetrator. You're doing all of these things throughout various lifetimes to gain the experience. So that's karma. And they say you have to neutralize your karma out to be able to transcend through that cycle of samsara, to use a Buddhist term. Well, there are sometimes people who build up too much good karma they can't pass on. There are sometimes people who build up too much bad karma they can't pass on. What if, and this is a contemplative exercise, what if these people agreed as their karmic lesson for the next lifetime is these people with too much good karma comes in to be these demonic, horrible, awful people to neutralize their karma against these people that have too much negative karma so that they can neutralize their karma together as a compassionate act and then finally transcend. And that gives us a different notion of what good and evil is. For example, a a good practical application of this is the Dalai Lama was once asked what he thought of General Mao. General Mao is, you know, that Chinese general that went into Tibet, murdered a lot of people. He's responsible for a lot of torment and destruction as China annexed Tibet. Horrible, awful things. But the Dalai Lama says, yeah, General Mao is just a Buddha in disguise. And when we think about what that means, Tibet at that time period and previous to that has a very powerful spiritual tradition a very powerful means of raising consciousness about getting into the way of evolving the human mind to higher levels of being but it was locked into tibet it was only for the people that were initiated into their tradition only for the people of tibet it never went anywhere very closed exactly now comes general Mao, commits all these atrocities and tibetans are fleeing all over the world the dalai lama goes into India, and now all of a sudden, decades later, the whole world knows who the Dalai Lama is. The whole world has ashrams all over the place. The whole world is learning these advanced consciousness teachings. Buddhism in this form has now spread all over the world. So what if General Mao came in karmically to be this demon, horrible, awful person to help raise the consciousness of the planet? So who are we to define what good or evil is until we can look at this higher level and go, oh, crap. And that's fifth to seventh level thinking and processing.
0: Yeah. And that's so, so difficult. I feel like that's one of the hardest concepts for people that work in these fields that that listen to me and, and others is to wrap our heads around the idea that something that we perceive as evil or bad often serves a purpose for something else later on it's it's almost like if we, this ebb and flow of energy in these different states occurs in different ways. And yes, it's terrible the, what people have to go through in those moments, but really it, in some ways they're almost like being, they're like sacrificing themselves for that transition of energy. And but so it really gets into how we play so many complex roles here. Now I want to get into like a, a like a base thinking here for a minute. Let's say that someone is in a lifetime here to simply grow and expand. Okay. Let's, We'll, we'll get past the neutralization aspect for a minute here. And let's just say someone's simply here as maybe they're inexperienced, a, a somewhat inexperienced soul, let's call it that. And they're here to grow and expand and, and understand all of these higher processes that lead them to a higher state of consciousness. And I think this is really important that you explain this aspect for people because it's very difficult. You and I had this conversation recently is the idea that if someone is going to follow a, a certain path in life. Okay. They're going to follow a path in life. And it's all along that way. There's all these moments where decisions have to be made. Right. And those decisions are either made in two ways. They're made with the like just the brain, the mind, right? You logically think about something and you say, I'm going to do something. And it doesn't matter what it is. It, it could cover the totality of anything in life creating a beer king and you decide you want to wage war another against another empire all the way down to something as simplistic as like you said the example of deciding to throw a rock behind your shoulder and like see what happens it's there's a whole spectrum of things that can occur here but the the outcome of that is based on the fact that you you're making a decision that's based on just your limited understanding of your logical mind meaning that you have no idea how those that's going to have consequences on everything else. And that's the point I want to make here to have you talk about a little bit versus having a decision made by something from something like intuition, the higher self. So explain that a little bit in terms of how those are very, very different in the totality of, of awareness and understanding.
1: Whew. Yeah, now we're getting to the multiple layers of what it means to have the human mind. Because we have our cognition of our brain that says, hey, this is a great idea to do that. But the impetus for that great idea actually comes from some sort of emotional need. Because as human beings at the biological level, just at the biological level, as human beings, we make 100% of our decisions emotionally and then we try to justify it with logic so hey i want to see what happens when i throw this rock because wouldn't that be really fun and cool well i'm only i'm doing this because i want to test causality i want to test karma i want to, whatever we're just doing it because there's an emotional need that needs to be fulfilled and we're using our logic to justify it but that's not the end of what it means to be human consciousness there is our intuition and the way i look at intuition is it comes from the visceral nervous system in your gut. It is the, the oldest part of the human brain, the human mind at the physical level. And it is in your gut. It is just about as complex as the brain, but it's more spread out, which is why you get this gut feeling where you get butterflies in your stomach, or you have this deep sinking feeling inside. Those are all intuitive responses. And your intuition is connected to the collective unconscious. It's connected to the natural world around you. And so it is your psychic perceptibility. And so if you have this intuitive pull to go do something, then you'll get this emotional connection of, yeah, I need to do this because I'm feeling the urgency of it. And then the logical brain will go, now, that's stupid. Why are we going to do that? Until you learn to build that trust of that feeling at the intuitive level going, oh, okay, okay. The intuition is saying I should do this. It's still not the end. There's still higher self. A lot of us have higher being, a higher self that we're connected to. We have whisperers or ascended masters, teachers. We have energy wells that we wander through that is part of our natural world. And these things will influence influence our consciousness in a very subtle way. That's why I call them whisperers. is because they're not these big shouting loud voices. It's more like hey, isn't it a good idea to kind of look into this and do that? You know, an example of that is you're driving at night. You come across a red light. You're sitting there at the red light. And now it changes to green. And you're like, no, I don't want to go. And Why don't I want to go? Why, Why not? And all of a sudden, boom, something blazes across the intersection. And you would have smashed all over the place. You're like, okay, that's somebody whispering to you at the intuitive level saying, just sit here, hold tight, don't go. And you don't have the logic or the cognition to justify why we're doing that. And that's where we could get into a lot of trouble because it goes back to my first rule of paranormal interaction. Similarities attract and perpetuate. If you're in a fear-based state, if you're in a negative state of being, negative state of mind, you get caught in this perpetual cycle that the energy patterns around you, the entities around you will continue to feed that cycle because that's the nature of your reality. If you're working on your spiritual growth, if you're doing your shadow work, which is a part of spiritual growth, not bypassing with peace, love, and light, but doing your shadow work, getting into the nitty gritty, and you're working to evolve to that, then the beings around you are in a higher state, and they're influencing you to move to a higher state of being and a higher state of consciousness. So these are the many, many layers of what it what it takes to be for human consciousness, from emotion to cognition to intuition to whispers. You know that it's basically clear cognizance, a knowing without knowing. Then we get to the big one. This is my favorite one, gnosis. Gnosis is when you're working with a very high-level entity. Uh, The old Greeks called it, here's a scary word for you, the old Greeks called it a daemon. Not demon, a daemon was a high, high high-level entity, uh, like an ascended master, a deity, or, well, still not the right word, but a super high-level entity that gives you a blip. You get like this blip, I don't know how else to describe it, and you sit there and you go, huh, that was cool, what is that? And it's like a zip file or somebody plugs in like a thumb drive into your head. And then all of a sudden it expands and you've got this massive amount of information that directly applies to your world and it's super relevant, but it came as this blip. And now, you know, all of this stuff and you have this deep level of wisdom from who knows where it just blipped into your mind. And so those are the many, many, many layers of human consciousness.
0: It's, it's so complex and it just shows us that, you know, we really are on this stage where we're being influenced from things all around us. And we're more like those antennas that tune into those things. But I just really want Pete to emphasize enough that when people are following, following that spiritual growth, the first place you need to go before you go up is down because you need to clear out all of those demons within yourself, all of those things that are holding you back before you can then rise up to these higher states of consciousness. You can't skip those steps. You must delve into those others, deeper, those deeper aspects of yourself first to cleanse those things before you can rise up. And then I want to strongly emphasize Once you do follow that, you'll start very much tapping into those higher states of intuition and you'll know what they are because they'll be like a powerful feeling like you're describing. And I talk about this all the time because it's funny to me is that in my process of spiritual evolution, I remember arguing with my intuition over and over and over again. And I, as I always say, when I do shows, I'm wrong a hundred percent of the time. When I try to use my logical mind to make a choice over a powerful, powerful intuition feeling, I'm always wrong. And I want you just very briefly to explain the difference though, with these guides, higher intuition, higher self, whatever you want to call it, that is guiding us in a positive way or, or some kind of a growth way versus something that maybe isn't that and how it's a different kind of feeling.
1: Absolutely. One of the best ways I can describe it is the higher level of an entity you are working with, the fewer words that they say, but those words are super relevant, super powerful a lower level entity seems to just like chatter and chatter and chatter and chatter. And a lower level entity will also have this insistent urgency that like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this now, do it, do it, do it now. Just take that drink, go ahead and do that hit, go over and talk to that person and say these things to them. Oh, look at that. Isn't that awful. You've got to stop them now, now, now. That's a lower level entity. A higher level entity is like, hmm, I think it's a good idea to look at this. Maybe. And you go, no, that's stupid. Why would I do that? And that's just like, hmm. You okay can if you want, right? if yeah like you can if you want it's, you've got forever you'll come around to doing it and you know, some time passes and they're like hey did you ever think about that so there's still some persistence but there's no urgency and they're like this is a really good idea for you and then you can still say no and i i argue with them all the time i'm like no this is just nonsense i'm not doing that and i get this feeling like a shrug like hmm, okay and then all of a sudden, a book will literally fall in my lap. You know, it'll be on my desk, or it'll just come to me on that subject. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I'll look into this. And then all of a sudden, my eyes open. I'm like, now I understand what you're saying. Okay. We're so stubborn, aren't we? We're so stubborn. But, you know, that's what they like. And this is what I love about the work of Alain Kardec. He's one of the few people writing about the paranormal that I emphatically agree with is these higher level beings want you to test them. They want you to challenge them because it's still your free will. And it proves that they're right, you know, when you test it and you prove that they're right, which builds that stronger rapport between them. And it gives you that ability to think for yourself and to hold yourself still in that position of power going, no, that's stupid, I'm not doing that. And they're like, yeah, well, fine, come to your own terms, you learn. And that's how you know a higher level being.
0: Yeah, it's, that's that's I, I want people to remember that. It this may seem trivial to some that, like, oh, hey Matt, how come you're not talking about megalithic civilizations and Yanunaki right now blah 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 blah. But you know what? This stuff is how we are guided through life in all these different aspects, and it's the core of, of everything, it's the core of what our nature is in our conscious state here, in our role in this great stage, this this great. Um, realm of existence. And I, and Kedrick, I, on, we honestly didn't cover like a bunch of the stuff that I wanted to. So we might have to do this again sometime, but let's, do it. let's at least um, let's at least conclude here. Cause I know you have to go in a few minutes, but let's at least conclude here with, uh, and I want you to, to, to talk about this for a minute. How much has human consciousness changed in say the last 200, 200 years and where, you know, where are we going as these collective co-creators?
1: Human consciousness at the collective level is evolving massively. Now, there are always going to be individuals throughout all of time that have achieved, okay, for want of a better term, a Christ-like or a Buddha-like state of existence, which some of us are still trying to reach that higher enlightened state. Fine. And a thousand years from now, there's still going to be somebody stuck in lower density. I'm going to go mess this stuff up and destroy because I can't. Sure. But if we look at human history, we are in the most peaceful time in human culture ever, statistically, not by what the news media is going to tell you, not by what mainstream media is showing you, but by the numbers. We are in the most peaceful time we of human it, history.
0: Right. We don't know like Lemuria might have been more peaceful than they are, but, but that's that's like very true. Back.
1: <laughs> very true. And one of the great examples I give with is a great example, one of the extreme examples I give of this is during the time of the French Revolution, one of the pastimes that people love to do, and I hate saying this, but we, we need to be aware of this, this is the shadow work that we need to be aware of. One of the pastimes that they would do was put a, a cat into a small cage and slowly lower it into a fire and have their screams and hoots. Of, what's that?
0: entertainment purposes right as entertainment
1: yeah they got off on it they thought it was great and wonderful to hear this cat screaming torturous death now today that's appalling that's horrifying we would never do something like that yeah and that's an example of how we are evolving as a species and yes there is going to be the individual that still does that and has those problems but collectively We are evolving, and it's because of people like your listeners or all those people out there, everybody who's doing their shadow work, doing their spiritual work. It's affecting the collective unconscious, and you might think that, great, me sitting here meditating, doing my shadow work, doing my spiritual work, it's just affecting me, and no, you are jacked into the collective unconscious, By doing your spiritual work, by becoming a more compassionate individual, by working to raise your consciousness and evolve spiritually, you are affecting the collective and making it easier for hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of other people to follow in your footsteps. So as individuals, please continue doing this work, even if it gets difficult, even if it gets weird, even if it feels egoic and selfish, it's okay sometimes you are still affecting the collective in a positive way. And we're seeing that today.
0: That was well said. And I just want to conclude before you pass on some of your information is that really look at now how we're rejecting war. We're rejecting violence on so many different levels. And, and I know people want you know the collective to just jump on board of realizing that, the, hey, the pyramids aren't tombs and the ancient civilizations were so sophisticated and all this stuff, but it's not time yet. We'll get there. Let's remember this is baby steps and we're, we are changing on a collective that is so exciting right now. We have to look at it from the bigger picture and we'll, we'll get there. Humanity, like you said, is the most peaceful in our entire current existence of what we are now as a civilization. And we just have to remember that we're all playing a role in that. And we're all part of this great story that is going to go. However, each one of us decides to contribute towards it. And so it's a very exciting time to be here right now. Instead of thinking it's the end, this is really where it's blossoming towards um, a a truly beautiful place that we're going towards. So Kedrick, I want to say, truly appreciate you sitting down. We have a bunch of uh, topic points here we didn't even get to that are pretty exciting, like ascended masters throughout history and all kinds of things. So I'll have to have you on again to talk about those things, but you. Um, for, for a few, uh, a moment here, why don't you share with everyone, you know, where they can find your work and where they can inquire more into some of the things you do.
1: Sure. Uh, the best place to go is my website, kadric.com you know, K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H.com. There's links on there for like a paranormal awareness test to see what your paranormal ab- abilities are to booking sessions where we can work one-on-one. Uh, I've got a bunch of classes online, you know, building your paranormal awareness, some basic shadow work, some very in-depth shadow work, the nature of different type of beings in this world and how to connect with them and communicate with them, to even classes on runes and how to do rune magic. And you'll find all of that off of my website, kadrick.com. But I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, check out stuff there. And I always open this to everybody. Don't hesitate to shoot me a message or an email, friend me, follow me, whatever. I'm always happy to answer questions and answer emails. So don't hesitate to, to reach out because I like helping people.
0: And that's one of the things I like about you the most is you're so jo- kind and generous in terms of helping. Well, thank you so much, Kedrick. This has been an awesome discussion. Until the next time, everyone, this is Mastermind Discussions. Thanks so much.